Safer Chemicals Podcast. Sound science on harmful chemicals. Welcome to the Safer Chemicals Podcast. I'm your host, Hanna Kaisa Torkkeli. Our scientific committees for risk assessment and for socioeconomic analysis have had their first meetings of the year. In this episode, we cover the highlights of these meetings. Both committees prepare scientific opinions that are used by the European Commission and EU member states when deciding how chemical risks need to be controlled. Tim, the chair of the Risk Assessment Committee, and Maria, who chairs the Socioeconomic Analysis Committee, join me in the studio today. Thank you both for being here. You're welcome. Uh, today we'll focus on uh, the restriction proposals discussed in your meetings. Uh, let's start with the so-called universal proposal on per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances, or PFAS in short. And this is a proposal prepared by five European countries, Denmark, Germany, the Netherlands, Norway and Sweden, and it covers all persistent PFAS, so around 10,000 substances. The proposal was submitted to ECA in January, and uh, this is the first time the committees discussed it. The restriction has created a lot of interest, not just in the companies using these chemicals, but also in, uh, with the NGOs and big EU media. Tim, what makes this proposal so significant? Well, that's quite a big question. I, I think the first thing to say is it's the broadest restriction proposal that we have ever seen and possibly in the history of the EU. And that's both in terms of the number of chemicals involved and also the number of uses of chemicals that's covered. And it tackles a really well-known problem. PFAS is, u- is ubiquitous in the environment and the concentrations are increasing year on year. Um, the broad group approach is for all PFAS substances, and that even includes unidentified ones and those which mightn't have yet been discovered even or manufactured. Mm-hmm. And this is all to try and avoid what we call regrettable substitution, that one dangerous chemical is replaced by another of similar uh, degree of dangerousness. Okay. And the national authorities who have submitted it estimate that around four and a half million tons of PFAS would end up in the environment over the next 30 years without this uh, restriction to make the changes. Yeah, and, and just as there is going to be quite a big impact on the emissions, there probably could be quite a big impact on companies. That's something also that's important. In general, we expect this is going to be quite an impactful restriction and restrictions in groups um, is the way forward really here, both for the impact and as Tim has described, to avoid regrettable substitution so that they don't just stop, you know, start using something similar that is just as bad. Um, on this one, we know there's a lot of interest already. We've seen some of the interest already in the first meeting and uh, I think we, the important thing is that we will be giving it proper scrutiny all the way. We will be uh, focusing on being transparent and objective and very much focused on the science as well. Here definitely the scientific evidence and analysis is going to be key. Exactly, that's what ECA does. And uh, the task now for both RAC and SEAC was to check that the proposal meets the legal requirements of the REACH regulation. And this is called a conformity check. Could we talk about that a bit? 
Certainly. Um, the conformity check is relatively straightforward. We just look at whether the elements that are described in the regulation are contained in the dossier that we receive. And both committees had a look at the dossier and decided that there was sufficient information on all points to be able to evaluate it. So okay. we both agreed in our respective committees and then the evaluation can start. Yeah, so now the work starts. I mean, both committees have identified what we call rapporteurs, who are the members of the committee that take the lead in uh, drafting the opinion. And uh, we also have set up support groups in both committees. That's something that's important to highlight. We expect that we're going to have many comments that will need to be analyzed. So lots and lots and lots of work. So we have the support there, a support group there, uh, and that's made up of members of the committee. And they will help the rapporteurs handle the huge amount of work. And they also bring additional specific expertise in different aspects. That's also also an addition. Uh, what they're going to be doing, that depends. It will be different in both committees uh, and it will be depending on what is needed. But uh, it's additional, um, you know, additional um, expertise there available. And it also increases the scrutiny on the proposal, which is important. Uh, so it's not just the, the support member scrutinizing, but also the other members. So it's going to be quite a lot of work for the whole committee. Good. Uh, the six-month consultation on the proposal starts uh, on the 22nd of March and will be open until the 25th of September. And anyone with information on PFAS can take part by sending their input to us. And then Rakan Seak will take this information uh, into account when developing their opinions. Uh, given the huge interest and the potential impact of the proposal, what do you expect from the consultation? Well, before I go into that, I'd like to highlight that uh, EGA is organizing an online information session on the 5th of April. Well, this aspect will be covered in even more detail than, than I'm going to go into here. We're looking for any relevant information on the risks, on the socioeconomic aspects and on possible alternatives to the different uh, PFAS uh, substances. Um, it's important that the information provided is well evidenced. That is quite key. Simple claims about, you know, this is going to be a big impact. That, that's not very useful. It needs to be supported by evidence. So I'd like to highlight that. Um, I'd also like to highlight that the consultation is the way to get relevant information considered. For reasons of transparency, any information received through other routes is not something that we can take into account. So uh, don't try to innovate in, in that way. Just send your information through the consultation. Um, now, as I mentioned earlier, since this is such a broad proposal, so many uses covered, we expect that we're going to get a lot of consultation input and the committees will be analyzing that. We are going to be analyzing it very thoroughly. Uh, so we're going to give proper scrutiny to every single comment received. That is very important to highlight. And we will use all the relevant new information that's received there in the opinion making on, on the proposal. Um, also, it may be good to remind that uh, in SEAC, once the opinion is agreed, there is also an additional consultation, and that's on the, the opinion itself, not on the proposal in general. Um, however, I would like to encourage people not to wait for that one. You should submit your information now in this consultation so that it's got maximum impact. Um, and uh, also maybe another reminder that the committee opinions provide advice and then together with the proposal to form the basis for any decisions that are made by the European Commission with the EU member states. So there's uh, so, some stuff left uh, in the process. Thanks both. Then let's stay with PFAS but move on to firefighting foams. And this is a restriction proposed by ECA in January 2022, so it's already a bit further in the evaluation process. And uh, RAC has now adopted its final opinion and SEAC its draft opinion. And uh, to be clear, 
the use of PFAS in firefighting homes is not part of the universal restriction, but it's a separate initiative. And this restriction is about banning the placing on the market, use and formulation of all PFAS in firefighting foams after specific transition periods. And these transition periods are needed to maintain fire safety. Tim, could you briefly summarize what Ruck concluded in its opinion? Yes, indeed. Um, there is a separate restriction proposal on firefighting foams for PFAS, be mainly because we discovered this use in previous consideration of perfluorinated substances in restrictions. Uh, this would be our fifth or sixth restriction on perfluorinated substances. So in the one we did on PFHXA, we spotted that there was uh, a large use of PFAS in firefighting foams and that that might need to be addressed separately to prevent PFAS entering the environment. As, as you could imagine, when uh, a fire has occurred or during training, mm -hmm. when firefighting foams are used, they're dispersed rapidly into the environment with virtually no opportunity to collect them or to to prevent the, the the waste entering the environment and this is seen as i think uh, a european-wide problem mm -hmm. so this restriction is intended to uh, move away from pfas over a period of time okay thanks and what about alternatives to pfas based foams how common are those and are there risks from their use as well well, this is an area we've looked at in quite some detail, as did the dossier submitter. Now, fluorine-free firefighting foams are available, and there are examples of successful use across most of the sectors we've been investigating. And market analysis from 2020 shows use of about seven to 9,000 tonnes of these alternatives. So they're very definitely there. Now, the substances which are identified as potential replacements for PFAS are grouped into four in general. So there's hydrocarbons is the first one, siloxanes, and I'll come back to that in a minute, protein foams, for example, and detergents. Now, RAC concluded in general that the hazards and risks of alternative foams are likely to be significantly less than those associated with PFAS-containing foams. Uh, possible exception here is the siloxane-based ones. There the information was not as good as for the other alternatives and we are less sure about their suitability or their lack of hazard. Thanks, Tim. Uh, the risk-hazard side of the restri restriction proposal seems quite uh, straightforward. What kind of sectors would be impacted? Well, the, I think the, the there's a concern here that firefighting foams are essential for fighting fires so they're absolutely needed and they're needed at various different installations there's let's say municipal firefighting which is on a generally on a smaller scale but there's also industrial firefighting at uh, large plants where um, firefighting foams have to be readily available um, in an instant, if you like. There's also Cerveso sites which uh, have special considerations because of the hazard of the materials being uh, handled there, and they require very specific firefighting equipment and procedures. So we have to bear all this in mind uh, as, as part of the restriction. Okay, the proposal on firefighting foams is, deals with the same set of substances as the universal restriction proposal, right? Um, it could do. The point is that we're not too sure what is contained in all of these firefighting foams. Mm -hmm. we, we know that it's 
mainly PFAS, but which particular formulas are used or which particular recipes are used, that's the sort of detail that we haven't been able to establish. And hence then a, a wide grouped um, proposal is required to deal with this. Okay. Thank you, Tim. Then over to you, Maria. What did SEAC consider in its draft opinion? Well, SEAC, first of all, agrees with RAC that uh, using a restriction under REACH is the most appropriate way to deal with the, with the risks. And uh, we have looked at all the different options proposed in the restriction dossier, and we considered that the restriction proposed by ECA is the preferred option. And this is the restriction option three, which is what you described when you introduced the item. Uh, but that conclusion is as long as there is a review of the substitution status before the end of the transitional period for certain uh, uses, basically for Cerveso establishments. Um, now, in this one, the availability of alternatives is particularly key. Uh, so there was an investigation in the proposal of the availability of suitable alternatives, um, and SEAC thought that that was generally quite comprehensive and complete. Um, and uh, basically, we've, it, it found that uh, fluorine-free firefighting foams are available and that there are examples of successful use in most sectors and uh, the evidence that there, that there is significant use of them already. And uh, by the end of the various transitional periods, because we've got different ones for different uses and different sectors, SEA considers that uh, they will be available in most uh, sectors and foam applications. We do have some doubts regarding whether alternatives will definitely be available for certain types of Cerveso installations after the 10 years. Can you explain the, the Cerveso? What does it mean? So this is major hazard sites. So sites that are that are particularly high hazard. We're talking oil refineries, you know, that that kind of thing. Uh, so. Um, you know, these are the largest kinds of industrial sites as well. We've got high volumes, multiple types of flammable liquids, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, now, to be clear, even on that one, SEA considers that there are very good indications that we will have alternatives after 10 years. And, uh, of course, there are always uncertainties when SEAC will look uh, looks at how long it's needed to transition to alternatives. This is, however, a little bit of a special case because the consequences of not having alternatives that perform sufficiently well uh, could reduce fire safety on these sites. So this could have quite harmful impacts to the environment and to human health. Um, so this is why we consider that we need to have a review of how the substitution is going before the transitional period ends, just to be sure. I mean, there, there's always uncertainty, but uh, it's just that the uncertainty could have particularly bad consequences here. That's that's the main thing. Um, then looking at other things, of course, on the cost side, in general, SEAC thinks that this is a reliable indication of the order of magnitude, what's in the dossier, so that, that's pretty okay. Um, on the benefits, though, SEAC uh, thinks that uh, the benefits have not really been emphasized enough in the proposal, so that could be could be higher than, than is indicated. So the proposal uses the avoided tonnage of PFAS releases as a proxy, let's say, to the benefits uh, to the environment and human health. But SEA considers that in the absence of restriction, there could be very, very significant costs for activities to remediate pollution. Mm -hmm. So these benefits of the restriction are not really quantified in the proposal. And we think that they're not emphasized enough. And this is something that we highlight in the opinion. Um, in any case, based on you know what, what we look at in general and comparing the potential cost and benefits and the cost per kilo of um, emissions reduced, SEA considers that the proposed restriction is, is proportionate. 
Um, I would also maybe like to highlight a couple of areas where we're looking for additional information in the consultation on the SEAC draft opinion. First of all, a couple are relating to what transitional periods are needed for particular uses. There is one uh, use in portable fire extinguishers. So we've got there a ban on the placing on the market and a ban on the use of PFAS-containing fire extinguishers. SEAC has some recommendations of when those bans should take effect, but there are some remaining doubts about whether alternatives will be available by then. So with like a bit more information there. And then uh, the PFAS-containing firefighting foams used by the marine sector and by municipal fire brigades, we don't really have enough information at the moment to make a recommendation on the transitional period. So again, more information is, is sought there. And finally, we do have some doubts about whether the definition of the sectors covered by one of the long transition periods of 10 years, whether that covers all that would need to be covered. So more info sought on, on that one as well. And uh, just as a reminder, I think we've mentioned this already, but uh, we have two consultations open on PFAS restrictions. So, yeah, we ask stakeholders to make sure that they submit to the right one. Uh, we've got the universal PFAS restriction and the consultation on the SEAC draft opinion related to PFAS in firefighting foams. So if you want to provide information on the firefighting foams, you should provide it to the latter. That is not covered in the universal PFAS restriction. So the, it would be mo most useful to have it in the right place. Yes. So have a detailed look on our website when you go to the consultations, which one is the, is the right one. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, your committee will adopt the final opinion in June then, right? Yes, indeed. That's what we aim to do. We will consider any comments made in the consultation, which will be open for 60 days, and then uh, amend the opinion as needed to be adopted in June. Thank you, Maria. Uh, then moving on uh, to a restriction proposal on DMAC NEP, which came from the Netherlands. And these are dipolar aprotic solvents used by industrial professionals. Uh, DMAC is used in the production of agrochemicals, pharmaceuticals and fine chemicals. NEP is applied in cleaning agents as a binder and release agent. It is also used in oil feed drilling, polymer processing and in water treatment. And both substances are harmful to reproduction and may harm the unborn child. Uh, and that said, their use in consumer products is already restricted. And for this proposal, ROC adopted, adopted its opinion and SEAC agreed its draft opinion, like for the previous one. Uh, Tim, could you explain briefly what this restriction is about? It's quite a technical restriction and it's intended to protect workers in workplaces which are using these uh, aprotic solvents, as you've correctly called them. There's a whole family of these solvents. This is uh, These two are the third and fourth ones which we have restricted or recommended to be restricted. They have very wide uses in industrial settings, so they're, they're used in industry for a whole range of processes. Um, they're quite volatile, so they get into the atmosphere and can be breathed in. And what this restriction does is it sets an exposure limit in the workplace to which above which workers should not be exposed. So it's entirely for the protection of workers. It operates uniformly at a European wide level. So workers in one country are equally as protected as those in another country. That's not always the case with other regulatory measures. Mm -hmm. um, we have already, as I said, uh, recommended two restrictions on other aprotic solvents. So this is the third and fourth in a series. Um, 
effectively what we do is put an occupational exposure limit into the workplace and that's a fairly essential measure for protecting workers. And what did the RAC conclude? Well, uh, just as background, this is a restriction on placing on the market, manufacturing, and use of these solvents. Unless the manufacturers, the importers and the users apply the agreed derived no effect level, this is the DNL value, and it's related to the exposure of workers by inhalation and by skin contact. So the DNL is a level beyond which workers should not be exposed in any industrial setting. Well, we looked at a, a range of exposure data that was submitted by industry sectors. Um, one or two sectors were very helpful in providing us with data so that we developed a good understanding of what workers are normally exposed mm -hmm. to. And then with the DNLs which were proposed by the Netherlands, we were able to check whether there was a risk which needs to be need to be addressed. In other words, whether there were uh, controlled conditions or, or not controlled conditions. And we found across a fairly wide selection of sectors that there were exposures which were well above the DNL and that therefore action is required on a European-wide basis. So that's our main conclusion that uh, regulatory action is needed at a European level to protect workers right across the, the European workforce. So before there was no kind of a obligation for a certain limit, but there was a indicative level, right? There, There is an existing level for one of these substances, not for the other, bearing in mind it's two substances, yes. uh, but it's at a much higher level and less protective. And w we feel that modernizing the level to which workers can be exposed is fairly essential okay. to keep things up to date. And this is only, let's say, a restriction unless the, the companies apply the... Uh, the agreed limit? If the companies have the appropriate equipment to manage the risks mm -hmm. and to keep the exposure levels below the DNL, then they can continue to operate. Mm -hmm. And that's the same for all of these four restrictions on the four aprotic okay. solvents. Okay. Yeah, so basically we think that uh, if companies are already applying the right uh, operating conditions and risk management measures, then there would be no effect, no no cost and no benefits on those companies. It would only really affect the ones that would need to take action. Okay. Well, Maria, please continue on the SEAC <laughs> considerations. <Okay. laughs> Will do. Well, uh, SEAC also agrees in this case that action is required um, on an EU-wide basis. So we think that this will help have uh, some harmonization of risk management measures in different industry sectors across the whole of the EU. So that is a, a benefit of it. Um, so we looked at the different options. Uh, one of them is also binding OEL, or occupational exposure limit, and this would be under the carcinogens, mutagens, and uh, reprotoxic substances directive. Uh, but that would take quite some time to be put in place. And also the identified uh, risks would persist in the meantime. So we think that this is a better option. Um, Tim has mentioned the comparison with the other restrictions on other uh, dipolar aprotic solvents, and this helps prevent rigor double substitution. That, that is also something that SEAC was looking at. Uh, based on RAC's conclusion that there are some risks out there, the proposed restriction is expected, is expected to bring health benefits. Uh, but SEAC notes that the proposal, the analysis in the proposal provides very limited information for uh, doing some sort of quantitative benefit assessment. 
and uh, doing some a proportionality comparison between quantified costs and benefits is just not possible in this case. We had some kind of semi-qualitative cost-benefit comparison and use benchmarking. And based on that, we concluded that uh, the restriction is likely proportional for all the industrial sectors that we're looking at. Um, now, mostly SEAC agreed with the dossier submitted, but there was one area where SEAC proposes some, some change, which is the man-made fibre sector. And there, to manage the cost, SEAC is proposing that a transition period uh, is uh, four years instead of a year and a half, so that uh, certain risk reduction technologies that are a little bit more costly, uh, we're talking here LEV, which is local exhaust ventilation, so that that can be implemented a little bit more gradually. Okay, uh, Tim, you remember this guideline that yes, you mentioned. Indeed. Do you want to talk about that yeah, still? Yeah, I think that would be very useful. Um, when we recommended restriction of the first aprotic solvent, that was one called NMP as opposed to NEP, which is this one, um, we produced a guidance note for workplaces as to how to manage these DNLs in the workplace. Mm -hmm. um, it was quite well received by industry and it was quite widely distributed. So RAC requested ECA to update that guidance note and to include all four aprotic solvents in the one guidance. So we will take that on board in the, in the coming months and see if we can uh, turn it around fairly quickly. Okay. Thank you both uh, for the explanation and insight into the work of the committees. Uh, the next meeting for the committees takes place in June. Mm -hmm. uh, in the meantime, you can find all our podcasts at eka.europa.eu forward slash podcasts. Thanks, Kanakai. Thank you. Thank you. Safer Chemicals Podcast. Sound science on harmful chemicals.